Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Thank you so much for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Mark Purcell is our guest tonight. Uh, Mark is an amazing investigator. We're going to get into the things he's been investigating. But um, what I think I'd like you to do first, Mark, is solve the the question that's bothering both of us right now. Where is Bobo? Do you have any idea? What, what, we did what? schedule it for now, right? Three days ago, um, I got a message out of the blue. The last time I talked to Bobo was like about six months ago or so and then i got a message out of the blue about three days ago and said you know hey hey, mark it's bobo you got to give me a call i'm around i'm locked down and (laughs) so i called him back and you know he we he he talked about um uh bringing me on the show and he also talked about a couple of other projects as well and uh so i don't know where bobo is right now well, that's the great thing about this uh, Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and theoretically Bobo is that uh, we, we do kind of talk about whatever. It's not just all Bigfoot or it's not just all Beyond. Um, and tonight yeah. we have the greatest mystery of all is where's Bobo? And, you know, if this didn't happen fairly regularly, it would be a huge mystery. Uh, <laughs> nice. OK. <laughs> Very nice. But no, I know the the world of Bigfootery, it, it, it's still full. Me, I am. I'm still reeling. Like this is like this is like some sort of weird dream or something. Ever since like you know your first call, the first call I ever got. I know I hearken on this a lot, and I tell you about this a lot. It's like the first call I ever got in the Bigfoot world was you, and I was. And you know, I'm I'm like a room away. I'm standing in a room right now in the upstairs. Uh, of the Westport Aquarium. And I was in the other room, just like 20 feet away from where I'm talking to you. And I remember distinctly when you called in and my my son, Santiago, picked the phone and you must have said, like, is Mark around or whatever? And Santiago comes in, gives him the phone, it's for you. And um, it was you. And uh, that was my first contact in in the Bigfoot research community. I had put out, like, some stuff that I had found about Ape Canyon. And it was, uh, I'd put it on out online. I can't remember what it was, what forum I put it on. And I really, it's a forum I really don't look at anymore. But um, the uh, production assistants from Finding Bigfoot must have picked up on it. And I got a call from a PA with Finding Bigfoot wanting to uh, go up to a canyon you know to do some filming and i explained what the logistics were of parking your car and going up the trail and doing everything that one needs to do to go down to the 
Canyon Cabin site. And they were like, oh, holy smokes. Wow, that's way too much. And then I got a call from another PA and I explained it to the PA as well, you know, what what it takes to like park your car and go up to the Eighth Canyon site. And they're like, well, you know, can we rent pack mules? Can we rent <laughs> pack horses? And I was like, well, I don't really think you can and do that but you can try and so they were just like finding bigfoot was just like basically dropping it and then then i know you cliff you were you weren't going to drop it because you got word like hey i'm going to give mark a call and you did and that's how we got to know each other and that was my first introduction when you called that night um to uh introduce me into the bigfoot research community and yeah, we're a band of Muppets. We're we're a definite band of weirdos. Yeah, oh, for sure. totally. Oh my goodness. Totally. <laughs> Needless to say. <laughs> Dang. But well, you know, it's, I heard about you because oddly, like literally, like a week or maybe two weeks at the most, I think, before I called you, I had just done a four or five day backpack trip up into Ape Canyon with Craig Flippy, and um, right. that was our second trip into mm-hmm. Ape Canyon with, you know, the, yeah. with this yeah. idea that we were going to try to find the cabin site and, and the site, which is uh, right. now that I, you know, just ridiculous premise. And of course you took that ridiculous premise and ran with it and succeeded, but we can get to that in a minute. But like, you know, Craig and I, we, we uh, initially walked up, I think, uh, yeah, walked up the, the Creek and went up into Ape Canyon from below. We did that twice, just kind of dicking around looking for any, any sign or any indication. And I, I did, I did some research, you know, read like about pumice butte and all that stuff. So we kind of scoured that side, but we had no idea where it was, which is kind of fun because that's exactly how I started to look for the Patterson Gimlin film site back in like 1994 or something like that. Just kind of like haphazardly poking around in the woods in generally generally the right area. Yeah. And eventually I've I've zeroed in on that after a few years, like 97 or something like that. I think it was the first year I actually found it and went through it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this, after the second trip, um, to Ape Canyon, I got home and somebody sent me something or maybe it was even flippy. I don't, I don't think it was from the producers of finding Bigfoot. I think flippy or somebody sent me like, Hey, this dude really? said he found it. And I thought, no way, no way. Cause how would yeah, this guy no find shit. anything? No kidding. I just yeah, thought yeah. you're another, another Bigfoot community hack that, you know, is, is claiming something that you didn't have any evidence for, you know, cause everybody can, yeah. you know, words are worthless at the end of the day. You know, you you show me something, right. but I went on, I went on to whatever what Facebook or forum or whatever, wherever you had post this stuff. I went, Oh my yeah, God, look at that. Or something. I can't remember what that was. I don't know. But, yeah. I mean, maybe Facebook oh. or maybe Bigfoot forums. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. Maybe it was big. I can't remember. But, I don't know. But, I like the Bigfoot forum guys. They, uh, most, most of them, at least, you know, some of them are kind of mean for unnecessarily, I find. But um, I, I do I do kind of poke my head into the Bigfoot forums every once in a while. Um, I stopped posting there a few years ago, I think. But, yeah, they're generally good people, you know. Good for you. OK, yeah. OK, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I try not to let a, a few people who are inherently mean stop me from, you know, uh, learning what's been going on or, you know. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, I mean, it's like it's like a 17th century or 16th century recreation of a Greek forum of yes, 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 or no, uh-huh. no, no. You know, everyone's like shouting you down or boosting you up, but with no evidence. And I, what, what I, I, I don't mean to be mean, but 
you know, what do they know? All they know is what you're posting on Facebook or whatever forum you're, you're, you're in on. You yeah. Know? So it's, yeah. Easy, it's easy. It's easy to get shouted down. It's it is so easy to get shouted down. And even still, you know, because it's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hearken on Ape Canyon or, or other things I'm doing. But with Ape Canyon, I, I still like troll, air quotes, troll uh, Ape Canyon uh, on the internet just to see what's going on about people talking about Ape Canyon because I'm like, you know, the number one Ape Canyon nerd. I, sure. I you know it, it's, my, it's my thing. So yeah, I you won that one for sure. Right. I, I, I want to see what's, what people are talking about about Ape Canyon. And uh, I'm shocked, sort of. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a, a really good promoter for my own, you know, stuff, my own research or anything. But I'm kind of shocked when I see people still talking about Ape Canyon like they did ten years ago. You know, it's like, you know, have you been watching? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you Have you been looking about what I've been trying to do? Sorry about. Well, apparently not. That's the whole thing. And you know, there's a maybe, there's also so. a, a large turnover in the Bigfoot community. I mean, uh, I, I think in the last you know ten years or so, there's been a huge turnover. Oh, okay, um, fair. People, You're right. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You're right. But you know, but but get, getting back to the point, when I um, you know words are are, are just wind, right? I mean, to use a Game sure. of Thrones quote. But um, uh, <laughs> when, when the books, you don't get that from the movies. But in the books, they say that all the time. Yeah, I, I'm such a nerd. I've read all the Game of Thrones books. Yeah, but um, uh, okay. when I you actually put the nails and spoon and saw blade out there for everyone to see, I went, oh my god, this guy's got something. And those do look like old nails. Heck, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt this guy down and give him a call. Yeah, I love you, Cliff. I mean, I'm so glad you called me because you know you and I are now like the best friends. You're my brother, yeah. right? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that I, I'm I'm so glad I'm so glad you called me. I guess for a couple of different reasons. Um, I mean, from you know, I'm I'm not I'm like I I want to like uh, re aver that I'm not really good at self promotion, and probably I could capitalize on my friendship with Cliff Berkman. You know, Mark Marcel is endorsed by Mr. Cliff Berkman <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> You know, and but I'm I'm not good at that, and I I, I really don't do that. But, but when um, you and I went up to AC, let's see, the first time you went up to AC was 2016, 2017. I can't remember when the first time you when you, when you went up there. It was yeah, right um, in there somewhere. It was in there somewhere, right? And. Uh, suddenly, you know, oh my goodness, Mr. Cliff Berkman is going to Ape Canyon and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it really uh, promoted uh, um, the conversation again, if you will, about Ape Canyon. It really like started to reinvigorate um, uh, um, a discussion about the Ape Canyon subject and the attack from 1924 that at that point had started to like die down in the embers of the fire. You see, one thing that happened about the 1924 attack at Ape Canyon is that when these miners were attacked in 1924, what most people don't realize, you know, the way that you and I heard about this cliff was through docudramas from the mm -hmm. late 
1960s or early 1970s, Sasquatch, you know, uh, Sasquatch, uh, let's see, uh, Sasquatch Legend of Bigfoot and um, other docudramas of the time in search of did a did a recreation of the Eighth Canyon incident. These are the stories that really inspired us about the Eighth Canyon incident. What we really don't realize is that at the time in 1924, when these miners were attacked on Thursday night, July the 10th, 1924, allegedly in the cabin at Ape Canyon, they split the next morning on Friday, the morning of July the 11th. When they got to town, they told someone and then it hit the papers the very next day on July the 12th. It was Longview Daily News, which was in a which was an evening paper, and it was delivered around five or six o'clock. And so it was it was less than 48 hours after the attack on the cabin when it hit the newspapers. At the time, we had the Associated Press wire. The, the AP wire, and then it started spreading like crazy all over most of the newspapers across the Western states, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so there was this media frenzy about the Ape Canyon attack, about these five miners getting attacked. And it just, it just, it, 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 it just went like crazy all over the newspapers. And so that's how it got into our... Uh, collective consciousness of being a Pacific Northwest person, you know, about these weird miners who who said they got attacked by mountain devils up on Mount St. Helens, right? And so that kept going, and it really, it did catch the attention of people like Roger Patterson, like other people, Peter Byrne, other people who wanted to track these guys down some of which were still alive in the late 1960s and the early 1970s, that they were able to go back and interview these fellows, where Fred Beck was actually caught on film being interviewed about the Eighth Canyon attack. Oh, wait a minute. Bobo's calling. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Hold on a sec. I'll see if I can get no, this No, no, no. Go ahead. My Hold goodness. On. Yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, we have a surprise for you. The other host oh, is here. my goodness. Are you serious? Really? Yeah. <laughs> So Bobo, we we were uh, we were just kind of you know kicking the can around a little bit, goofing around, and um and he was talking. We're you know as it often does with Mark, conversation started tending towards Ape Canyon, and um right. and he was talking right. about how uh, how uh, the the world learned about it and how the early researchers in the 1950s and 60s kind of picked up on it and kind of ran with it. So that's where that's where you're coming in on here, Bobs. Okay, cool. Bobo, I was talking with Cliff about. How you know people of our generation really got inspired by um, you know the documentaries and the docudramas of the late '60s and early '70s um, regarding this phenomenon of Sasquatch, where you know as far as like for you know my personal obsession with with Abe Canyon where uh, we would see these uh, recreations of the Ape Canyon attack with, like, Sasquatch, Legend of Bigfoot, 
And I believe there was a recreation in an In Search of episode um, where that's what really that's what really inspired us to like really look into and and other things, of course, really inspired us to look into the Sasquatch phenomenon. Right. And so it really got it really got ramped up after that, where all of a sudden people are calling Peter Byrne and people are calling, you know, Robert Morgan and people are calling all these people to show up in their film. Right. And so things were really going hot and heavy um, to um, like really like look into this phenomenon of Sasquatch. But I got to tell you, um, uh, I've been to a, a Bigfoot conference in uh, Kelso, Longview, Washington, uh, the, the the Squatch Fest. And, How's that? And, I- yeah, I, I, you know, I said hi to you, you know, about like not this time, but the time before. Um, uh, it, it's hard. Frank, frankly, it, it, it's a little bit difficult for me because um, the um, beginnings of Ape Canyon, the very beginnings in 1918 of the Ape Canyon project, not my Ape Canyon project. But the actual miners who started to start looking for gold up the Lewis River Valley, they started out of Woodland, east of Woodland, Washington, going up the Lewis River Valley. They were looking for plaster locations. And there are plaster locations up the Lewis River Valley, east of Woodland. They were like marching along, looking for plaster locations. And then eventually they broke off of the Lewis River and headed north and eventually laid, uh, laid the claim for the Vander White Mine in the Canyon north of the Lewis River. But the whole thing started in Longview and Kelso. The entire family, all of these miners, were in the Lexington neighborhood just outside of Kelso. So my point being, when I go to the Squatch Fest in Kelso, Longview, there's this beer garden and there are games and there's a band and I like to hang out and talk with these youngsters. I'm 53 years old. So just to let you know, but I talk with these youngsters hanging out at the beer garden and I'm like, are you guys local? Yeah, we're local. I'm, I'm from Kelso. Hey, have you ever heard about Ape Canyon? Nope. Ape Canyon, you know, where the miners got attacked in 1924. Do you know about that? No, we don't know anything about it. So uh, that, what you know, in, involves me in this like long beer laden diatribe about the 1924 Ape Canyon attack. But I'm really shocked that people in Kelso Longview in Cowlitz County, Washington, do not know about the Ape Canyon attack of 1924. It's an important part of our culture, and there was a there was. There's this huge influx in the 1960s and the 1970s, yes, into the early 1980s about Sasquatch interest, but then it died. And uh, I got to say, I'm sorry, it died in Cowlitz County, except for maybe a few weirdos. But they they don't know they don't know that Ape Canyon started right there, and I could like point their nose to the ground about where it actually started in Kelso Longview. It 
it grieves me. It, gr- it grieves me. It's an important part of Calvin County history. Yeah, kids oh, today, yeah. man. Yeah, sorry. You're well, right. Well, school, the school should be teaching them that. Yeah, I agree. At, at, at the Squatch Fest, uh, there's a small cabin off to the side, um, which was the cabin was drug off. It's an old pioneer cabin that was drug over to the fairgrounds. And there's this poor guy uh, who runs uh, the Calvin was a county history museum who tells stories there are very important stories and he tells these folks you know like five or six people about ape canyon and about um red-haired girls getting kidnapped by sasquatch you know back in the 1800s and stuff you know old native stories and but there's a very few there's very few people who uh or who show up and this is a very important part because this is Something the Ape Canyon story. I was talking with Cliff before he got on. Uh, before he got on Bobo about John Kirk's interview. I mean, John was talking about you know Burns. He was talking about Jacko. He was talking about uh, the Albert Osman abduction. And uh, these are important parts of our history, not only local history, but it's an important part of the Sasquatch phenomenon history. And we really need to be paying attention to it. I agree. It's one of those things like, uh, you know, we only know so much because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And um, I think Bigfoot, probably largely because of the Finding Bigfoot thing, the show, uh, has had its resurgence and is probably more popular with a larger number of um, aficionados now than ever, I think. Um, Aficionados are right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and um, right. and but because of that, because they because these the 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 newest generation have come into this through cable television and the internet, um, they're kind of missing out on some of the same things that we were indoctrinated the uh, by means of because we were all indoctrinated by the same books, by the John Green books, you know, and Peter Burns right. book, and and like so there were there were so many fewer resources for good information, although there's not a whole lot of resources for good information now that I say it thinking about it, but still like there were even right. fewer I, back I, then. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Well, there's just so much crap out there, unfortunately. Right. Uh, but, but back when we were young and we had to go to the library to check out a Bigfoot book, there were only so many to check out. And that's why we all know about these, these stories, these cornerstone stories to the Bigfoot story in general, the Sasquatch legendarium, you know, the, 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 the mythos of the sure. whole thing. So, sure. yeah. So yeah. we, uh, but but the, the the kids today, the new people, you know, whether no matter what age they are, a lot of them don't know about this stuff, um, about Ape Canyon and Albert Osman and Ruby Creek. And, the you know, it, for them, it starts with the Patterson-Gimlin film, you know, um, but uh, it, yeah, which sure is exciting. It, it gets yeah. them a lot to learn about. They're, they have some exciting things in their future if they continue to learn. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it brings up a point. Uh, I was thinking about like leading up to like whatever we're going to talk about tonight, you know, whatever. But I was thinking about it. It, it, It's part of, um, it's a strange part of the human condition, really. Because when uh, someone, when, when like us weirdo Bigfoot enthusiasts go online and post stuff on Facebook or, or we're going to go, if you have been invited to a conference and you're going to present, it's like, as an example, um, uh, please don't comment on this, but I, I was at a Bigfoot conference uh, about three or four years ago, 
and Matt Johnson was uh, presenting, uh, one of the first things that he put up was a uh, newspaper headline from 1924 uh, for Missouri. And in Missouri, you know, the Missouri paper was talking about the Eighth Canyon incident, right? And so Matt Johnson put that up. And everyone was like, oh, wow. And this is like, you know, proof that we've been talking about Bigfoot for a very, very long time. But it's an interesting part of the human condition is that we really, really want that foundation. We very much want the foundation of the predecessors that have come before us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to talk about in, in, in our subject that we're talking about, where we want to talk about Sasquatch and Bigfoot. But today, when it comes down to brass tacks, it's kind of strange about history, when you start talking to people about history, suddenly the fog rolls in and their eyes glaze over when you really get down to the goddamn details of history. Really, history is not that long ago. As an example, I'm going to pull up personal family history for me. One of my grandfathers was the first man to be born in America in 1851. And my mom knew him. He was a very, very, very old man. But my mom knew one of my grandfathers, Dennis Hayes, who was born in New York from Ireland in 1851. And my mom knew him. I know my mom, and she's 86 years old, and she's still alive. And she knew a man who was born before the Civil War, right? And yeah. so, and she has this, this is part of my living memory. This is part of a memory. She can recount conversations she had as a very young woman with her great-grandfather. And so, you know, this is part of living memory. That long ago is not that long ago. As, right. It was another example as another example, as talking about Sasquatch, Leroy Perry Smith was the youngest of the five man, five miners at Eighth Canyon. In the 1924 attack, he was 18 years old, about. He died in 1975 in Kelso, Washington. I was had the great fortune through a friend to um, interview his daughter. And I was able to interview for about 45 minutes on audio. I have it recorded. So Betty was able to tell me about her dad. She was able to tell me about her guns. She was able to tell me about uh, the stuff that she found in his top dresser drawer when after he was dead and what she found in there. I was able to interview the daughter of one of the original miners. So my point being is that that long ago is not that long ago. Our history is not that long ago. It's it's right there in front of us, just waiting for us to pick up the pieces, either through verbal interviews, if they're still alive, or through document research. And that's, that's very important.
Yeah, you know, which kind of brings a question. I was thinking today uh, about what kind of things I'd like to ask you because we're good friends and you know, and I know I ask questions for the benefit of the audience who don't know you um, or who doesn't know you, but uh, uh, but at the same time, I want to find out stuff and I just enjoy talking to you. So I was thinking, how do you, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> how, how do you consider yourself? Like what, I mean, I don't, not, you probably don't put labels on yourself, but if you did, it's not, it's not Bigfooter because that's not exactly what you're doing. You know, you're something else. Is it, is maybe historian or archivist? So how do you, how do you view what you do? I don't know. Fair enough. I, re- I I really I really don't know. About Bigfoot historian. I think I'm gonna make a business card. Thanks, Bobo. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down right now. Yeah, I'm gonna make a business card. Bigfoot historian. Okay. I've thought about it a lot. There are a lot of people who have been doing the same thing over and over over and over and over again for the past 30 years. Mind you, I've only been involved in this thing for like five or six years, so what do I know? But I look back and I see people doing the same thing over and over and over again, and it's really gotten us nowhere, where people are uh, taking casts, they've gotten samples, perhaps hair samples, they've gotten photos, and we keep going round and round and round with the same stuff we put out stuff with the spectacular cast with the spectacular evidence with the spectacular photos but you know it, it's like we're, we're arguing amongst ourselves people from the outside outside of the bigfoot research community are arguing are arguing with us and you know it's, we're, we're going nowhere i really feel and I've said this before at conferences when someone stupidly has given me a microphone that I feel like we're going, we have the possibility of going into another phase of Sasquatch research. What I really project, if things are going to go right, is that we're going to be pulling in the expertise and the experience and the education of people outside of the Sasquatch research community who have expertise and education and experience in other things. Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, you know, he teaches at the University of Idaho. Derek Randalls, he's a great hunter. He's a great uh, tracker. We have other people who do sound analysis, David Ellis, all these people also happen to have an interest in Bigfoot. These people are bringing their skills professionally into Sasquatch research and applying it there, right? And so with me, my background, and try to answer your question, Cliff, in a roundabout way, is that I'm a land surveyor. And and that's how, frankly, I got into this. Land surveying takes a huge amount of document research. Any given project is a huge amount of document research in, in land surveying. You take that document research, and then you're hired as a land surveyor, and you have to take that document research, and you have to rectify it on the ground. 
you have to find the field evidence of what happened a hundred years ago. There, there's a land surveyor that came in a hundred years ago and he set corners, he found a fence, he located a building, he placed some trees, you know, a hundred years ago. Now me in 2020, I have to find that stuff on the ground from that surveyor from 1920 or 1900 or 1890. I have to find that field evidence on the ground and make sense of what I find today as to, as opposed to what he documented in 1920. And so that's where I come into it. I have to go back to the discipline that perhaps led me to the Ape Canyon cabin site, what kind of like my gig is for like history research and stuff is that um, where to go from here? Because a lot of the time, like, you know, Bobo and I were talking about the Thompson Flat Project, the Thompson Flat Monster Project. There are a lot of records that are missing. There are a lot of records that are just gone. They're just simply gone. And trying to figure out where to go from here is difficult when you're dealing with history. Right. Well, you know, maybe we can get onto that because the neat thing, um, you've done other podcasts before and, you know, I'm sure that you've spoken about Ape Canyon a ridiculous amount. So anybody in our audience can go find stuff about Ape Canyon that you've talked about, but you're onto a whole new thing now, this Thompson Flat thing. You've kind of put aside the Ape Canyon thing. Because you you found it, as far as I'm concerned, you found it, and you did what you need to do there, and it's cool, and you still love it, and you still participate in it, but now what, right? So you found this other mystery, and when you told me about it the first time, I remembered something about this, but I, I didn't know much about it. So I'm assuming that perhaps our audience doesn't know very much about it either. Maybe you should fill us in on the basic story, and then we can talk about the project you've taken upon yourself. Uh, let me fill, let me fill you on this. The whole thing is that um, I'm married to uh, probably the best woman in the world, and uh, she has her history as a uh, lifelong librarian and teacher. And so one day she's going to the library, and she finds this little like little slim volume, kind of like the Mountain Devil scene that's like stapled. You know, it's just like you know whatever. 50 pages 40 or 50 pages and it was like a bigfoot um it was a bigfoot research guide it was like a bigfoot field guide kind of thing and it was like how to like check out tracks and what to look for in the woods and in the back like oh three or four pages there was a, a compendium of historical research Sasquatch encounters. And in the back of that, this was about, oh golly, about four or five years ago. Um, it, it's chronological and by state. And there um, in Oregon, there was uh, an attack on a cabin by a Sasquatch like creature. And and this attack is known as the Harrison Cabin Attack. These guys were doing um, gold mining at the time in Curry County. And the first attack, it was an attack over the period of about two weeks or so. The first attack um, happened 
with these two fellows, Ward and Burlington. And Ward and Burlington were uh, family friends of this fellow named uh, Ben Harrison Sr. And Ben Harrison Sr. had a uh, mining claim, a gold mining claim, in Curry County at Thompson Flat. And uh, Ward and Burlington were family friends, and they were working this claim for Harrison. And they had a small cabin that they had built up there. This is circa uh, 18... Well, no, this is like no, this is more like 1900s, early 1900s, and there was a creature that came and pounded the shit out of their cabin, and Ward and Burlington were held up in there, and they were terrified of it. After the pounding stopped, they went outside their door, and there was some light, apparently from the moon, and they shot at the creature apparently to no effect, and, and the creature walked off. About a week later, Ward was up there again, and he was there with, quote-unquote, the two teenage sons, Ben Jr. and Bob Harrison. And there was a something pounding the hell out of this cabin, but at this time, they were ready for for it, just in the middle of the night. At this time, they were ready for it. And as soon as the pounding on the cabin started, they come out of the cabin door, guns ready. Sure enough, 100, 150 feet away, there's this large, hair-covered creature. They start blasting on it. And the creature walks away into the woods. And they're still blasting at it, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have any effect. And this creature starts throwing rocks back at the cabin. Right. So that's a 1904 Harrison cabin attack at Thompson Flat. Bob Harrison, the younger of the two brothers, eventually goes on to be the Myrtle Point Enterprise newspaper publisher and editor. Bob Harrison, with his father's early mining history and pioneer history in Curran County, starts publishing accounts of, of early Sasquatch encounters at Thompson Flat prior to 1904. So Catherine gives me this book, and I started investing investigating it and i'm like holy shit there's like there's a lot here there's a ton of stuff here there's a ton of stuff here that dates from 1873 or 1874 well through the 19 teens it's like 30 years worth of sasquatch history around curry county and around thompson flat so much so that it's like it, it's around a 30-year period. And after that, I, I, I tend to think that Curry County kind of, kind of got like sick of it about the wild man encounters. I mean, there was, a, there was a, an encounter about two or three times a year of the wild man around Curry County, Oregon. Before that, there were 
about four deaths that happened at Thompson Flat around the late 1880s, early 1900, early 1890s or so. And there were four miners up there at Thompson Flat who were working on their gold claims. And each one of them reported back their, they, were, they found their bodies and either their heads were bashed in with a blunt, a blunt force trauma or their bodies were beaten to a pulp. It was John Jensen, John McClone, Thompson, and Mike Madigan. There were four bodies up there that were found. Some of them had reports of encounters with a, a large Sasquatch-like creature, and all four of these men are buried at Thompson Flat on the west side. Now, here's the other thing, too, is that I was in Bend. Oh, Cliff, you were there, too, uh, for uh, Cindy uh, Rose Cadell's uh, gig out in Bend. Uh -huh. um, there was a woman that came around, and she sought me out. And um, I have a fair amount of faith in her. Uh, she uh, grew up in Curry County, and um, she um, no, she grew up in County, Curry County. She's about our age, like late 40s, early 50s, something. She grew up there, and she knows a lot of the locals. She has been, she's very interested in Bigfoot and other weird uh, shit and other weird history. Um, she had gotten a hold of somehow, some way, Bob Harrison's journals, like the oh. real journals. Like she's like she has like live stuff journals. Um, uh, I do uh, now. Aside from her journals and newspaper records and everything, I do have record of the Harrison cabin being built prior to the 1904 attack on the cabin um, that showed up in the newspaper record. Um, so I know that the Harrisons were there. I have mining records that the Harrisons were there. So I, I, I know that, you know, these guys were really there. Also, I do have record uh, from early 1880s of these miners that I just cited being there before any Sasquatch shit, before anyone was dead or anything, Doc Elgin, Mike Madigan, I have record of these guys actually being there at Thompson Flat. There was a, uh, a report of it that came down from Coos Bay to do another report, and he happened to hear about this mining camp up, up, up around the Sixth River, and he just went to go check it out and they actually published a uh, an article in 1889 and he cited these guys as being there um in 1889 about 40 people in this mining camp and he cited these people that are not that are now dead so um i i tend to think that um these guys were actually there Kim, so this woman kim christensen apparently has the harrison journals and she said that she knows where the Harrison cabin is. Whether it's really the 1904 Harrison cabin, I, I really don't know. I have to do more research into the mining record and stuff. But, I mean, there's a lot there. 
my my point being is that uh, Ape Canyon, the guys were up there in between 1918 and 1924. So they were up there for about six years. And it's taken me about six or eight years to track down the story. For Thompson Flat, this is a story that spans like 30 years. And so you better check back with me in about 30 years. <laughs> and I might, I, I might have some more information for you. It takes as long as the information is there. Yeah, it's it's astonishing to me how similar the two stories are. Um, you bet. You know, the, the, yeah, gold mines shooting at the things. Um, you know, history of reports in the area. The miners, of course. You know, the Sasquatch is one at Thompson or uh, Thompson Flat, but you know, the the miners won at Ape Canyon. So um, besides I don't know, those two, the miners left at Ape Canyon. Left in Ape Canyon. Yeah, but they got out alive. I'd say that's a win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. They, they lost all their gold, but they lost their gold and their equipment and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, but oh, it's right. remarkable how how those two stories are so similar. The similar. Yeah, there is a lot of similarity. You see, it? that's one thing that struck me when Catherine brought me that little booklet was that holy shit, this is not Ape Canyon. It took place twenty years before Ape Canyon, and it also took place like what whatever, 400 miles away in Southwest Oregon, you know, but the similarities are striking. It's very strange. And there was someone who asked me that at a conference. He said, what's this all about? Like gold in the ground or, or treasure in the ground and Sasquatch attacks. And I, I frankly, I, I did, I, I probably didn't like satisfy him, but I just said, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I really don't know, but there is a long, long history of buried treasure and buried gold and ghosts protecting the treasure and monsters protecting the tre treasure. There's a long history of legend about that. Um, I, I, I don't have an answer about that, but there is a, there is, at least, at least as far as Thompson Flat and Ape Canyon. Yeah, there is a, there's a similarity there. It, it almost begs the question if uh, the Ape Canyon story is a copycat of the of the Thompson Flat in a way. Um, I, I, obviously, I know the cabin's real. You took me there, et cetera. Um, but uh, it kind of begs the question in some ways. I don't think it is. I think the Ape Canyon thing really did happen and the Sasquatches were involved. But um, from an outsider, more skeptical I, position, one could ask that question reasonably. Yeah, that's fair. I, 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 think, I think it's very fair. Uh, um, I'm with you, Cliff, on this one. Um, um, and this kind of harkens back to my interview with Betty Mitchell, um, uh, uh, Leroy Perry Smith's daughter. Um, she has complete faith that her, her father was telling the truth. Uh, she believes that her uncle, Fred Beck, was telling the truth. She believes that Mary Smith, her grandfather, was telling the truth. And so as far as Ape Canyon goes, just compartmentalizing that for a moment, going back to the cabin site for a moment, there is uh, one, one thing that people talk about Ape Canyon is that um, how can this possibly be there after the eruption? Uh, when you go down the east side of Pumice Butte, um, there's a huge amount of the east side of Pumice Butte uh, that survived the eruption. You go down to the cabin site, there 
is there are one or two huge Douglas fir um, that are massive. Do you remember that cliff? Uh, just yeah, east yeah. of the, the cabin one site, right there. there's the one tree right that's there. like seven or eight feet, no, six or seven feet in diameter. There's a huge tree down there. Right? Yeah, right there at the cabin site. Now, I, that, that will always sure. be etched into my mind because that is the tree that you basically tied a rope around your waist and dangled over. Oh, I did. Cliff, right? Yeah, trying to see if that was the mine entrance. Cause <laughs> that was, I did. It was horrifying, right. yeah. But that's also the tree that you think that I, I think that uh, they nailed the mining claim into. They say that they nailed the mining claim above the entrance to the mine into a tree, and that has to be the one. Um, Which we have documented in the mining record, where Fred Beck Marion Smith said that they filed, that they had nailed the mining claim notice into a tree about thirty feet above the entrance of the mine, right? And yeah. so, you know, when I ran my metal detector on that, about eight feet above the ground, about two feet over my head, there's this massive signal with my, my metal detector. And when you go down to the ground, there's about a foot or two above the ground. There are other signals from the metal detector above the ground, about a foot or two above the ground. Right. So there's a lot of metal in inside that tree. And that tree is a lot older than 1924. That yeah. tree, is, you know, it's like a hell of a lot older than 1924. So there's 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 still something in there. There's still something that can be found in there. Which we can't dig out because I'm not going to destroy that tree. You know? No, no, it survived a lot. It'd be it ashamed to it'd be ashamed to have it fall to yeah, a, right. a curious bigfooter's, you know, knife or axe, you know, withering right. that thing out of there. You know, it's like, oh, you survived the eruption, but here's some jerk who wants some nail. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> I know exactly, exactly. But there, but there's something in there. I think that we have found enough document of it, enough field evidence, enough witness evidence to determine that that probably is the captain's site. That probably is where the Ape Canyon attack took place. I think that we have enough. Oh, I Again, think so too. Yeah. Some other guy may come in 20 years from now and it's, you know, it may blow me completely out of the water, which I invite. But so that, you know, so that has been like, you know, six or eight years of me working on Ape Canyon. Thompson Flat, yeah. Thompson Flat, what are you hoping to learn about it? Or is it just whatever comes up? Do you have a certain goal? Do you want to find out? Uh, yeah, what are you looking for? Well, naturally, um, again, hearkening back to Catherine giving me that little booklet, when I saw in that, it was just a stupid paragraph in the little booklet i'm sorry i don't mean to be i shouldn't say that but it was a paragraph in this booklet of uh 1904 harrison cabin being attacked uh, uh about you know gold mining cabin being attacked by a bipedal hairy creature i saw that and i was like damn that is right up my alley i could do that yeah is that cabin still around? Is there are is there mining record that would identify the claim, the mining claim? 
is there a mining record that would identify the cabin? I was like, damn, I'm going to do that. So that's how I got into it. I, to answer to answer your question, Cliff, um, I the, the what inspired me about Thompson Flat was you know after Ape Canyon, it's like shit. What if this? What if there are remnants of this cabin still around? I can't solve whether Ward and Burlington were really attacked inside their cabin. I can't solve whether Ward and the two Harrison brothers were really attacked while being inside the cabin. But does this cabin still exist? Right? Yeah. It, it's kind of it's kind of like why why do we spend money on why do we spend money on um renovations of Thomas Jefferson's Monticello? Why do we spend money on uh, protecting the pyramids it's because these are physical features that are important to our history these are physical features that are um, touchstones that are landmarks to our cultural history that allow us to identify our presence here in 2020 to our past and i think if I can wax philosophical, I think that's is extremely important to our research in the Sasquatch research community. We find footprints all the damn time. We're finding field evidence all the damn time. If we look back in the newspaper reports, if we look back in the document evidence, we find that this has happened before. But what if we can find physical evidence that Fred Beck actually lived, that this cabin in Eight Canyon actually took place, that in 1904 there really was a cabin there at the Harrison attack? Uh, what if we found Albert Osman's sleeping bag? These are physical touchstones that are important to our culture in the Sasquatch research community. Yeah, kind of fleshing out the history and again, the context in which we are Bigfooting. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on um, and just uh, and being great. patient with us. And just, you know, it's always an op it's always a good time talking to you. You're a, a, a damn yeah. good friend, and I just love you so much. So thanks so much for coming me on. Yeah, me too, you guys. You bet. Well, we appreciate you uh, doing the work to share with the rest of us because, you know, I, I, I think I speak for Bobo and I. Uh, just We love the Ape Canyon mythology. It was a big part of both of our formations as Bigfooters. And to have somebody really plumb the depths like you have, I mean, to me, it's, <laughs> literally. A, yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a sigh of relief to get to know so much about something. You know, it's like meeting a hero or something like that. Oh, yeah. Please. Well, I'm not saying you're my hero, although you kind of are my hero. Like you're, you're, okay. you're, but the, the Ape Canyon thing. No, but you are definitely a model for researchers. That's for sure. You get in deep okay. and you don't give up, and you're tenacious. Yeah, I was stoked to meet Mark. At first, I was like, he says, "What's up, Bo? I haven't met him yet." He, he said, "Hey," he said my name. I'm like, "Who's this homeless riffraff that just blew him off the street?" <laughs> Takes one to know one, man. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, I'm Mike Mark Marshall. And I was like, oh, shit. You're... 
Dave Canyon, no way. I was all excited. Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you. Okay. Anyway. All okay. right, Mark. Well, thanks a lot, man. I really do appreciate it. And, and let's make sure to talk soon, man. It's been too long. Yeah, let's do that. All, All right. of us. Yeah. Okay, kids. Thanks, right. dude. Bye, Mark. Bye, bye. Bye, Mark. Bye, bye. Hey, Cliff. Bubs. Was he cutting out? Did it sound like he was cutting out a lot on your end? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure our listeners are kind of curious about that too. See, the thing is, Mark lives way out in the coast, like uh, Westport, Washington, and just in the middle, I mean, you know, it's right on Grays Harbor. It's the southern end of Grays Harbor, not not the Aberdeen side, but the other side, you know, um, Ocean Shores and stuff. It's from across the water from there, and he gets really terrible reception. He talked. We talked about that before we started recording, and it's just one of those things that uh, he had. He's also in a very old cement building. He's he's broadcasting from the West Westport um, Aquarium, um, so it's an old building. He's inside, lousy signal, but. Um, I, I said, you know, we should go ahead and do it anyway and not worry about the signal. And hopefully our, our listeners can forgive us for that. But uh, it's the only way we can get Mark. We're all friends here. You please, you know, I think they can forgive us. So. I hope so. Please forgive us, folks. Yeah. And if you can't, that's okay, too. Just listen next time. All right. Well, I guess that's about it, huh? I think so. I think so. Cool. Thanks for listening, folks. And until next time, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 